want to let the kids know that they are free to go to the back with teacher Jamie. Wanted to give a quick update this morning on on Debbie McCracken and and Pastor Steve and just let you know that there is actually I got a text message this morning, but from what I from what I understand uh, is that they met with the doctors on on Thursday. It's been a, a long journey. She's almost been in the hospital for I think just over a month now. And and probably in there for, you know, a few more days at least um, until her levels get back up to where they should get. But just heard word this morning that the levels are climbing and they're getting back to uh, a good place. They After they met with uh, the people, the doctors on Thursday, it was decided that they thought they were going to be moving in this direction of a bone marrow transplant. And it seems like they, the doctors really want to try to hold off on that. Um, they're thinking that, yeah, because it could be life, lifelong changes if they move in that direction. But they're thinking that, they're, and they're praying, they're hoping that chemo will work. And they're thinking at this point that that's going to be the best option. And so, uh, but they, he just sent me this praise this morning that Deb, Debbie's numbers are continuing to rise, which means that getting to go home is around the bend. She's thank, thanking her God and mindful to continue to trust him, be patient and self-controlled, and to live by his spirit. And uh, they just want us to add, again, we are so grateful for your your love and prayers talking to you, and thrilled that uh, you are believing God's healing hand is upon her. And so just thank you for continuing to pray. Yeah. So, yes, please continue to pray for Debbie and just for others here at Grace Point that I know also have need and have different cancers or different things that are going on. And as we are able, let's just continue to look to each other, get to know each other better and just know before or after service, who are you? How can I be praying for you? Like, wouldn't that be neat if we were a church that was uh, just defined as a praying church? And that when you were going up and talking to people, that you knew you were going to be asked how you could be prayed for. Um, that would be neat. So, but just a reminder that the weeks that I'm preaching this summer were in a series called Voices from the Past. And uh, we're talking about minor prophets with a modern message. And so we're trying to dig into each of these minor prophets and not only see what they had to say to the audience that they first wrote to, but then we're trying to figure out how we can apply that same message to our lives today, too. And so the first two weeks that I, I spoke, we covered Hosea and Joel. And then these last two weeks, we had John Moore that spoke. And just give him a hand for speaking for us. He's going to continue to speak this summer. And he, uh, we were originally going to cover Amos and Obadiah. And I, felt, I feel led to stick to where we were supposed to be today, which is in the book of Jonah. But really quickly, uh, I wanted to summarize the main idea that we would have talked about for Amos and for Obadiah. Um, and then if you feel free, if you'd like to go back and read these books, I would encourage you to do that because they're just there's so much good uh, that can come from from just seeing the truth from these books. But in the book of Amos, we would have seen how pride comes before the fall. 
Amos was foretelling uh, the Babylonian attack that would ensue on all the surrounding nations, all the nations, Israel, and then all the surrounding nations around Israel. And Amos speaks about it in chapters 1 through 3 before it ever happened. And it happened because of their pride, because of their boasting, and because of rejection of God. Uh, Unfortunately, we know that Israel in the north, there's Judah in the south, Israel in the north, Israel never rose again. And this book warns us that we must not be people of pride and complacency. So the question for that week would have become, how's our humility? And I think that's just good for us to, to ponder is how is our humility? Are we practicing laying ourselves low, thinking of and putting other people and their needs above our own? And this is always a good question to be asking. And then last week, we would have talked about Obadiah, and we would have talked about Edom, if you've heard of the, you know, the location of Edom, uh, but how the Edomites actually descended from the Israelites. If you go to Genesis chapter 36, verse 1, Jacob's brother Esau. So you remember Jacob and Esau. Uh, Esau is where the line of the Edomites came from. And we would have seen from this book, from Obadiah, that it doesn't matter how much wisdom or knowledge that you have or how big of a fortress or a city that you build up around yourself, we all are eventually going to reap what we sow. Now, Obadiah would have led us to the question, what are we sowing? It's a good question to ask. What are we sowing? Are we sowing seed that will just benefit us and our passions and our desires? Or are we sowing seed that will benefit others and God's kingdom too? And that kind of goes along with what John Moore has been preaching these last two weeks. Um, And and if you haven't heard his messages, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to those two messages out of the book of James. And it was on money and finances and generosity. And just want to encourage you to to think about this question. What are we sowing? But now this morning, as we get started in the book of Jonah. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt like God was telling you to go talk to somebody or to share something with someone? Maybe it was a stranger and you didn't do it. And maybe you even told yourself or you felt like God was telling you, turn back around, go back. And you knew there was still time, but you still didn't do it. I've had these experiences before uh, where I just did not go back and I knew God was telling me to and I knew I blew it. I've had other times where I felt like God was telling me to talk to somebody or when I was driving or something. And then I kept going and I was like, "Ah, I don't know if I should or I was scared or whatever. And then, you know, two or three, I'd be like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then I'd be like, oh, but I feel like God wants me to do. No, I'm not going to do it. And then like I'll get like, you know, a ways down the road, finally turn around and go back. And the person's gone. (laughs) And I knew that I had blown it. I knew that it wasn't what I should have done because I knew that. God wanted me to talk to them 
And it's the same for all of us is that there's can be times where we can miss opportunities that God really wants us to step into. And we could all probably share about a time or an example in our life where we knew we blew it, where we knew that God wanted us to go and talk to somebody, and then we didn't do it. We didn't follow through. But I want us to think, how do we usually feel after this happens? I don't know about you, but there, there's a lot of different lies that Satan can speak over us. Um, he could tell us a variety of things. And a couple that came to my mind were that we're no good or that, of course, we blew it or that we failed or that we're a horrible person or that we should be ashamed of ourselves or, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Now, that's some of us, right, who have that kind of a, a response when we know we blew it. There's others of us on the other side where we, we justify it and we, we rationalize to ourselves that we're in the clear or many times we even convince ourselves, we convince ourselves that we did the right thing, right? We can do that too. And I'm just wondering, which person are you this morning? Are you more the person that might go inside your head and listen to and believe the lies, their lies, right? And start to beat yourself up? Or are you the person that maybe will rationalize it and uh, even try to convince yourself that, ah, it wasn't so bad or I did right. Um, but the latter or the second approach, rationalizing it and all that, that's more of what the prophet Jonah did. Now, what I'm hoping that we're going to realize this morning is that when God tells us to do something or to go talk to somebody in our day-to-day lives, we should want to do it. We should want to be obedient when these situations rise. And not because of trying to avoid how we're going to feel if we don't do it, but rather because of the priceless opportunity that we could have to share more of him with someone else. And to know that we got to be a part of something that was much greater, that was much bigger than anything that we could do on our own. And that we could be a part of something that God wanted to do, something God-sized. And here's the deal, though, is that if God wanted, wants us to do something, if God wants us to do it, and it happens to be a Jonah-type moment, it's not going, he's not going to let us off the hook until we follow through. And the longer that we take to follow through, the more fallout for ourselves and for others. And I want to touch on some background real quick, because you see, some people will try to say that Jonah is a fictional story, that Jonah is not a real story. And you'll see why in a little bit if you've never heard of this book before. But there's there's two things that I want to share with us for why I believe that Jonah was indeed a real story that actually happened. OK, and in in Second Kings, chapter 14, verse 25 the prophet Jonah, our prophet, is mentioned. And it says in this, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, that Jeroboam II, it says he, because he, he was one of the, the kings of Israel, Jeroboam II was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo, Humath, to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant 
Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. Now, the prophet Jonah is actually mentioned in the Old Testament outside of the book that bears his name. And he lived during the time of King Jeroboam II. From around, he was the king from about 793 to 753 BC. So if this was a fake story, if Jonah was a fake story, then you got to ask yourself the question, would Jonah be mentioned elsewhere in the Old Testament? And this description of Jonah in 2 Kings puts Jonah in the generation right after the prophet Elijah and living during the divided kingdom of Israel just right before the exile. So Israel in the north, Judah in the south. So that's the first reason. The second reason why I believe that Jonah was indeed a true story is because Jesus in the New Testament talks about the prophet Jonah as if he were real and as if him talking to Nineveh really happened. So if you read Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 41, it says this. It says that some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And it says that Jesus answered in verse 39, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, as he was in the belly of a fish, a huge fish, three days and three nights. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the, at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the, pre- the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So he's talking about Jonah went to the Ninevites and they repented. And so on the basis of Jonah being a prophet that actually lived and a story that actually took place, giant fish swallowing him and all, let's start this story from the beginning. So Jonah, as we've already talked about, was from Gath-Hefer, and we see that in 2 Kings chapter 14. And Gath-Hefer was east of the Sea of Galilee, up in the northern part of Israel, and it was in the territory of Zebulun. So right in verse 2 of chapter 1, so right from the beginning of this story, we see that God asked Jonah, the prophet Jonah, God talks to Jonah, he says, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, which is that away, about 500 miles, and I want you to preach against it because of its wickedness. Now, slow it down here, okay? Because sometimes we miss this. Some other very important background here is that a lot of times, pretty much every other prophet in the Old Testament went and spoke to the Israelites. And they spoke to them about their judgment and their sin. But here, here's Jonah being asked to go to Nineveh, to the Assyrian Empire, the worst empire around, at that time, an empire that, like I said, w- would have taken, I mean, several weeks on a camel, camel, five weeks most likely on foot. And then he was supposed to tell, not the Israelites, but a different enemy nation, hey, uh, by the way, yeah, you're, you're wrong. 
you're sinning, you're going to be overtaken and destroyed. Yeah, right. Okay, not only would they probably not have believed him, but number two, they most likely probably would have killed him or done something really horrible to him. Now, do you understand now maybe Jonah's dilemma for why he didn't just up and comply and go straight to Nineveh? So as we, as we can continue reading the story, Jonah gets all his supplies together and he begins his journey to Nineveh. Wrong. <laughs> Verse 3 says that Jonah ran away from the Lord as far in the opposite direction as he could. A place called Tarshish, the furthest known place at that time in the, on the earth. And so he actually goes down southwest to Joppa, about 60 miles on foot. And so this wasn't like a, a short trip. He goes all the way to Joppa, 60 miles away, and he boards a boat in order to do so. He did not obey God. He ended up fleeing from God. And don't say that you wouldn't have done the same thing, because as we already established this morning in our introductory question, we've all had some kind of time in our life where God told us to do something or God told us to talk to somebody, and we didn't follow through with it either. So now, here's where the story gets interesting. It says in verse 4 that the Lord sent a violent storm on the ship. Okay, so he gets on the ship. He starts going out. They're in the middle of the sea. And the storm is so big that it threatened to break up the boat, it says. And each of the sailors were afraid and were calling out to their own God, but nothing was working, it said. Nothing was working. And they, they had even started to throw precious cargo in, out of the ship into the sea, trying to lighten the load trying to keep it from sinking. Can you imagine if you were the reason for why thousands and thousands of dollars of valuable stuff was lost? All because you failed to listen and obey God. Now that would be hard to swallow. A lot of times we never think about how our disobedience towards God impacts or affects others. But it does. And it says that Jonah was below deck and he was sleeping. And he wasn't just sleeping, he was in a deep sleep. And they found out that he was there and they called to him and they said, please call upon your God, maybe he'll notice us and we'll not perish. And then they decide to cast lots to see who's responsible for this storm. And don't ask me exactly how this happened, but they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah, and then he was outed, and this was the conversation that he had with them once they figured out that it was indeed his fault. It says in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 8, let's read it together. So, so they asked him, they asked Jonah, tell us, who is this that's responsible for making all this trouble for us? They know it's him. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. 
This, ter- this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied. I don't know where he gets this idea. Would anybody in a huge, giant storm, that's frightening in and of itself, boats drowning, nowhere to go, who would have the idea, oh, just throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault, and this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. So like, we're trying to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. No, many other times when that happened, other than Jesus saying, be still, in a huge storm, and the waves were calm. And it says that this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So right in the middle of Jonah, running away from people, uh, or running, running away, these people had the opportunity to experience the power of the Lord. The storm stopped as, as soon as they threw him overboard. And so many times we think that Jonah running away was only negative. But the Bible says that God makes all things work out for the good for those that love him. And we don't know if these, if these sailors came to know the Lord, if they came to know God. But you can be sure that they had an amazing story to tell when it was all said and done about this God of Israel, different than their polytheistic and many gods. And they probably told this story more than once in the rest of their life. Now, here's the deal. This doesn't give us license to sin or rebel against God like Jonah because he's always going to use it for his glory in the end. Don't think that. But it's an encouragement for those of us that know that we've messed up, that think that we have messed up too much for God to be able to use us again. And I would say, think again. If that's you, and you think I've messed up too much for God to use me again, God is bigger than your mess ups, and he can always redeem and fix any situation as long as we turn back to him. And he can make it used for his glory. And so in chapter 1, verse 17, it gets interesting. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Wow. We're never told that it was a whale, just that it was a giant fish. But it makes for a great children's Bible story. Uh But interesting, I cannot even imagine, I cannot even fathom being in a great fish or a whale for three days. Um, There is a man, though, just recently in Massachusetts uh, and off of Cape Cod who was off doing some lobster. That's what he does for a living. He goes and gets lobsters and 
he brings them back and sells them. And on his second dive down, I guess he was like 10 feet from the bottom, I think. And all of a sudden, he said that everything went dark, complete darkness. And at first, he thought that he had literally been swallowed by like a great white shark. But he realized that there was no crazy teeth, nothing that he was still intact. And so he was realizing, oh, man, I think I've just been swallowed by a whale. And apparently (laughs) the whale didn't like him because of probably all of his, you know, gear and everything he was wearing and the oxygen on his back. And within 30 or 40 seconds, I guess the the whale came back up to the to the top of the water and started shaking back and forth and ended up spitting him back out. Kind of incredible. So uh, what's really interesting, though, is that in chapter 2, we're told of a prayer that Jonah prayed to God while he was inside this great and giant fish. And this prayer, if you read it in full and study it carefully with commentaries, actually has a different psalm attached to each part of what's said. So it's very much in line with Israelite songs and poetry, and which is worth which is worth noting. But the summary of this prayer is how Jonah realizes that he's on his way to death and that in this moment he calls out to God for help and that everything changes. And what's interesting to me was I was reading this story and this man Michael his name was Michael <laughs> and uh And it said, this guy that got swallowed by the whale, and it says, and I quote, I was completely inside. I was, it was completely black, Packard said. I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. All I could think of was my boys. They're 12 and 15 years old. Life flashed before his eyes. I mean, you've got to realize that that's what was happening with Jonah, too. We don't think about that. We think, oh, man, this amazing guy who just lived to tell about, you know, this fish. Can you think of how scary and how crazy that would have been and how he was probably thinking this is the last time I'm going to see my family and about how he was going to die that way? But what I want to what I want to call our attention to is that the moment that he calls out to God for help, the moment he repents, everything changes. And what I want to draw our attention to quickly before, though, before we go on to chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, which is at the end of this prayer, is that if we're not faithful to God when he tells us to do something, sometimes, not every time, but sometimes, God has to take us through dark places and hard times to get us back on track with him, just like he does here with Jonah. But even so, it is worth it. And the stories that we get to tell after the fact are always God-sized, or should I say whale-sized? I mean, come on, like how many people get to live through being, being swallowed by a whale and then getting to, to share that later? But Let's not, let's not move past this part too quickly, this, 
this phrase in Jonah chapter 7, or chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, this, the end of the prayer that says in, in verse 7, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Wow. Was it a coincidence that as soon as Jonah prays this prayer and says these words that I remember you, that salvation comes from the Lord, and I will share this, that God has the fish spit him onto dry ground? I don't think so. But from that point on, we see that Jonah agrees to this journey to go to Nineveh and to deliver God's message to this people. And in verse 4, in chapter 3, it says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites shoved him off, didn't believe him, arrested him. No, we're not told any of that. It's kind of crazy. It says, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. A fast was proclaimed? What? It just keeps getting a little more crazy. Uh, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Just sitting there kind of shaking my head, being like, what is going on here, Lord? When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in dust. This, this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But the people and the animals, let them be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Nothing is impossible for God, and we must be faithful to God when he asks us to do things. Uh, no matter how far you've, you've gone or you, you think a, a situation is from, a person might be from God or a situation is from God, we must be faithful to God. We must do what he's asking us to do or else we may just miss out on the God-sized miracle. Now in chapter 4, verses 1 through, through 3, we see Jonah's response to God for showing them mercy, it says. But, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became very angry. <laughs> he prayed to the Lord, 
Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are, and this is a verse we've heard a couple times now in this series, that I've heard that you are gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What was Jonah? But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah's response for God showing mercy is anger. And a side note, uh, when God tells us to do something or something happens that we don't like, do we have the right to be angry at him? Not really. I mean, he knows best, and, and we've got to believe that He's up to something if he wants us to do it. And when he says, this brings out an important part of verse 4. When just want to say really quickly that when, it's, when he says, do you have the right to be angry? He's not, he's not doing it in like a rebuking way, like, do you have a right to be angry? He's, he's doing it in a, a questioning way. Do you, do you have the right to be angry? I mean, because think about it. Here's, here's the real truth and question is, hey, Jonah, after what you did, do you really have the right to be angry for God showing mercy and grace to, to you? <laughs> Would you rather him not have showed mercy and grace to you for, for what you did? Would you rather have him left you in the whale? But no, God gave Jonah a second chance too. But how often do we respond just like Jonah? We're looking at the speck in someone else's eye when all along we have a huge plank in our own eye, as Luke chapter 6, verses 41 and 42 says. I mean, Jonah could have also been mad because this would have meant his prophecy not coming true because he, he pr predicted, he gave a prophecy, and then it didn't come true. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 21 and 22 says that if a prophet gives a prophecy and it doesn't come true, that they're not a real prophet. So he could have been really angry because then the Assyrians and the Israelites were going to think that he wasn't a real prophet. But regardless of all this, this story isn't so much about what we can learn about Jonah, but it's what we can learn about God and obeying what he has called us to do. You see, the book of Jonah is all about God's power and God's sovereignty. And us realizing that when God tells us to do something, it's usually for good reason, and we should obey him and we should do it. And here's the deal, though, because we, we want to get to application this morning. We want to see how this story applies to our life. Um, a scholar by the name of John Walton writes, and I quote, it has often been noted that the book of Jonah teaches obedience to the commands of the Lord. That is certainly true, but we should not stop there. Jonah learns the hard way that in some matters, the choice is not whether to obey or disobey. Rather, it is whether we yield to God's commands or leave him no choice but to drag us to obedience. There are times when God will not be denied. We can go willingly grudgingly or by pure force 
but go we will. End quote. See, there was some spiritual pride seen in Jonah in that he thought he knew best. He thought he knew how God should operate. Many times we get caught in this rut too. But what we must realize is that God's sovereignty is the bigger picture. We can learn from Jonah that faithfully and ra- having radically radical obedience towards God is so much better, even when we don't understand, and how it's so much more of a practical approach. And it's far less damaging to us and to others if we'll follow through and obey him. How many of you ever pray this kind of a prayer? Uh, God, use me today. Lead me to the person or the people that you want me to help or that need hope or healing or or peace or or joy today or love. or, Or God, show me someone that I can share you with today and tell them about who Jesus is. And when I see them, help me be obedient. If not, this is a prayer that we should all be praying. And I would love to tell you, I'd love to stand up here this morning and tell you as your pastor that I prayerfully pray this every day and that I come to see it, come to see in fruition uh, before my eyes all the time. And I can't say that every single time that I do this, that I pray this prayer, that I follow through myself and that I'm obedient. I'm still working on this prayer. And the reason is because a lot of times, I mean, it's scary or you got to put yourself out there or you, you know you might not be received well. You know you might be persecuted. But I can tell you that the times that I have been faithful, that I have been obedient, that I have gone and shared with these people, with a person what I felt like God was wanting me to or just started a conversation with them, that it has been so, so, so worth it in the end. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21, talks about how the reconciled can become reconcilers. How those who have been restored to Jesus can help others be restored to Jesus. And it also talks about in these verses in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21, that how we're called to be Jesus' ambassadors. How we're called... Uh, to go to other people and and represent the interests of heaven and what Jesus's heavenly kingdom has to offer that this world cannot. And a wise man said, it's not our job to bring about reconciliation, but to simply announce that which has already occurred. Romans 15 or 10, Romans 10, 14 and 15 is therefore a great reminder for us when it says, how then can they call on the one whom they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. Whether we like it or not, when we become Christians, we become ambassadors and representatives of Christ to others. And when God tells us to do something or to talk to someone, we should want to go. We should want to do it. 
And if necessary, do it with radical obedience so that God, with all of his power, with all of his sovereignty, can be glorified and exalted 